Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is J.J. Jackson. Thank you for being with us here today on Thursday, December 14th. 2023 Lockdown Blue Devils is a daily podcast devoted to everything going on in the life of Duke Athletics. Big focus on Duke men's basketball and football. We'll be talking about both of those programs on today's show with our good pal Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. If you have not done so already, Lockdown Blue Devils is available wherever it is that you get your podcast. Leave this show a five-star rating and written review. The algorithms, particularly on Apple Podcasts, Love when you take time to type out a few words for us. We give Five Star Friday shout-outs to folks that leave us those five-star ratings, so help us out if you don't mind. Also, watch the show daily on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, like this video, share it with your friends. Excited to be back in the heart of this Duke basketball season. ACC play right around the corner, and a lot of good stuff coming to our YouTube channel. Follow us on X at LO underscore Blue Devils, and I'm there as well, at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Connor O'Neill is a contributor and lead guy at Devils Illustrated. He's a contributor to the Duke media at large and talking about the Duke men's basketball program and football as well. And he joins us very frequently throughout the season. Glad to have him back with us on the show once again. And we were talking before we got going, Connor. It has been a busy week or so, keeping up with everything going on with both the football and men's basketball program. Yeah, I actually have a, a column that's coming out. Um, I want to, I want to alleviate the December calendar. Uh, <laughs> maybe this comes from a place of uh, running two sites and being a one-man operation, basically, uh, and feeling like it's it's more overwhelming now than it is when both seasons are in the regular season like November uh it almost feels worse in December because of the timeline but no I mean it like like I tell everybody it's better to be busy than the alternative no doubt uh there's there's plenty on the plate to keep you busy well let's talk basketball let's talk about the Stoop team now with the seven and three record 10 games into the season back-to-back wins for the Blue Devils over Charlotte and Hofstra um a long break between that Georgia Tech game and then bouncing back on Saturday to take on Charlotte as Duke went through a kind of the final exam portion of the schedule. Uh, and, and now here they are with a 7-3 and three mark through 10 games. What have you seen out of the Duke team in particular over these last two contests? I've seen a team that kind of uh, – they, they've they figured out the blueprint to steal John Shire's approach. Um, that's what he told us uh, when the game was Tuesday night. Um, that was his main thing. You mentioned blueprint, I think four or five times. Um, just the, the, these last two games, nobody is readjusting expectations for this team based on beating Charlotte and Hofstra. Uh, it's not like those are going to be huge resume builders come March, but they're decent mid-major teams and they're teams that you could wind up seeing in the first round of the NCAA tournament after those teams get hot and win their leagues. Um, so that said, you know, it's not like they just rolled through some Ken Palm 300-plus teams. Uh, they they face some challenges here. Hofstra has a bunch of shot makers in particular. And Duke was able to prove kind of to themselves that if they move the ball well, if, if they lock down on defense and play well on that end, um, 
they can still be the team that we thought they could be and and they could reach the ceiling that we kind of go, went into the year uh, thinking that, that they could reach. Um, it's, it's kind of mystifying in a way because I go back to after the Arizona game, John Shire talked about how selfish his team played and he had some really pointed words and I'm sure his words in practices following that game were, were pointed also. <laughs> And then they had great ball movement for three games. Uh, they, they, I think the number that I had was 61 assists on 90 field goals against Michigan State, um, Bucknell, and LaSalle. And then it's like they just decided, well, we did it for three games. We don't have to do it anymore. So you didn't see it against Southern Indiana, and you really didn't see it against Georgia Tech and, and Arkansas. So that's one of the things I talked to Kyle Filipowski about after the Saturday game against Charlotte was – and he, and he said, uh, we, we had some selfish basketball that was being played. Um, put it put it right out there. And so these last two games were, were really important. And it kind of you, – you're not thinking that you're going to need two bounce-back games after two road losses when the schedule is put together in April and May. But it kind of worked out well for Duke that they're able to kind of get these two reset games and go into a, a huge game against Baylor on a neutral court uh, next week and Duke kind of has has the rhythm back um, we'll see what it what it looks like against an elite opponent but they've at least shown themselves what they can be I love that finding the blueprint for what this team should be doing can be doing throughout the larger portion of the season and this team the past two games has been without Tyrese Proctor so ball movement has got to be a large portion of the blueprint what else is there to that? Is there anything else that has been seen on either end of the floor these last two games you think that uh, really shows us what this Duke basketball team is this season? Their defense has been better in spots. Um, they went from turning Hofstra over four times in the first half to 10 times in the second half the other night. Uh, 10 second half turnovers led to 20 points. That was 20 of Duke's 45 points in the second half. Like, you just you, you get the sense that when this team is able to turn teams over, they really can take advantage because when you have three guards on the court, sometimes four, when Jalen Blakes is in there playing the four spot, you can really get out and run and, and get some stuff in transition that other teams just can't get. Um, we need to see defense on a more consistent basis. So we need that's that's the one area like. I look at ball movement, and I think you can have ball movement against anybody. I think ball movement is more about what you do than it is about what the opponent can do to you to throw you off of ball movement. I think defense is where you know they're they're going to see some better offensive skill uh, when they play Baylor and when they play certain teams in the ACC. Yeah. Um, it's a bloated it's a bloated ACC, so some of these ACC teams are not going to be as good offensively as Austria is. Um, we can we can go into a whole other discussion about the state of the ACC and the state of college basketball on that subject. But I think for Duke, like we we've talked about this since God, what May or June, that this team was not going to have Derek Lively. They tried to get a shot blocker; it just didn't work out in the portal. Uh, Sean Stewart is just a little too raw. He fouls too much. He's a little bit all over the place. He's not going to be this team's you know, freshman who emerges late in the season as the shot blocker extraordinaire. Um, so they've just, they've got to play defense differently. And when they've, when they've shown that uh, kind of simulated pressure, the three quarter court press, um, 
I love that. I, I think that's a great thing to throw teams just slice a couple seconds off their possession time. Don't let them ease the ball up the court. Uh, don't give them the first, you know, 47 feet uh, to get up the court without any difficulty. Um, and we saw it pay off when when Jared McCain stole the inbound pass there late in the first half against Hofstra, and it led to a Caleb Foster three in front of Hofstra's bench. That was part of what turned the tide in that game, really. So I think we've got to see it on the defensive end from this court, and it's it's kind of where you're looking at it like it's a reverse of last year, and not to compare everything to last year, but remember last year at this time we were like, man, this team can play defense with with anybody. They just can't score. Uh, they can't get anything offensively. Like they're just so offensively limited. You don't know where the points are going to come from if it's not coming from Filipowski gathering his own misses sometimes and finishing at the rim. And um, Jeremy Roach was really the only bona fide scorer at, at at this time last year. It felt like, and he was dealing with the big toe injury from the Purdue game. Now it's like we know this team can score. We we've seen this team like the. There's no secret about the ball movement that we just talked about. Um, we need to see if they can defend and we need to see if they can hit that, hit those notes on the defensive end that Shire wants. Um, and, and I think there's plenty of time for them to prove that they can do that. And and that's where I go to last year's team got better as the year went and under a first year coach who's really, really young, that's a really good sign. And if he's able to do the same thing with this team, then it's another team that can be clicking at the right time, which is which is always the goal. I continue to be so impressed with some of the halftime adjustments that we're seeing so far this season. You mentioned a couple of them earlier in the week against Hofstra. All of a sudden, more turnovers are taking place on the defensive end of the floor. And really, that appears to be something that John Shire has taken a lot of pride in, is making some of those halftime adjustments. Let's talk a little bit more about that blueprint and individual performances, but first we'll take our first break here on today's episode of Lockdown Blue Devils. Lockdown Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch all the winnings roll in. Prize picks is the most fun that I've had, winning up to 25 times my money this football season, and now I can play during basketball season as well. You pick two or more players, pick more than or less than on their projected stats and place your entry. This week, it's a lot of fun. Big NFL matchups coming up this weekend. Go see everything that Prize Picks has to offer, including a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your players gets injured for football or basketball games. If you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Right now, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Once again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college using promo code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Moving forward here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils alongside Connor O'Neill. I'm JJ Jackson. Quickly, devilsillustrated.com, duke.rivals.com, a couple of different ways to get there. 
Tell us a little bit about all the work you've got going on and why people should join your website, join the community that you've got over there. Yeah, it's uh, we've we've got a lot of stuff like we talked about in the beginning. Um, new football coach at Duke, basketball team that's going to be ranked all year, ranked right now, and has been ranked all year. Um, Duke.rivals.com. We're uh, we're breaking things down. We're hoping to get an update today on VJ Edgecombe and his recruitment status. Uh, kind of the last remaining target out there for Duke in their class. Uh, they've already got five locked in. Um, it's a lot of good stuff going on over there. I uh, hope, hope people join. Please do. It's good stuff. I'm a part of the community there at Devils Illustrated, so make sure you're over there supporting Connor and the great work uh, that he's got there online covering the Stuke football and men's basketball program. So we're talking a little bit about this blueprint for Duke basketball. We've mentioned kind of the halftime adjustments uh, that have been changing and then also just looking at what makes this Duke team successful in particular we got to talk about some of the star players. Kyle Filipowski finally comes back with a monster game against Hofstra. Really did a little bit of everything. How big of a piece is Flip to this blueprint that Duke wants to put out there this season? Yeah, I mean, he's everything. Um, and, and what I was most impressed by was not even necessarily the game that he had on Tuesday night. It's going to sound crazy, but I thought he had a really good game on Saturday. And he only had five points. He goes – it was his lowest scoring performance since the scoreless game at UVA that ended controversially with him supposed to have been shooting free throws to end the game. Um, uh, But he had 13 rebounds in that game. He had four assists in that game uh, and he, and he kept playing. And so he gets kind of rewarded when, when his shot starts falling against Hofstra and all of a sudden he's one off of his career high. He's got a season high for points. He's got eight assists in that game. I, I think his assist numbers up to like, I, I think he's averaging high two point something, 2.8, 2.9 assists per game now, uh, which if, if I'm if my math is correct, is more than double what he averaged last year. Um, he's just become more of a central cog of the offense. Like last year it was get the ball to flip, uh, hit him on a pick and roll, hit him on a pick and pop and the ball would end in his hands. The ball doesn't have to end in his hands anymore. Like he can, he can move the ball. Um, the volleyball pass that he had to Jared McCain for a corner three was, I thought fantastic. And, and just shows you kind of his creativity as a playmaker, which we kind of haven't had a chance to talk about much because he's more of a get the ball, go up. If it doesn't go in, get the offensive rebound, go up again. Yeah. He, he's that, He's been that type of player more often than not when he has these monster games. So this this was a great performance. Um, we can make all the jokes we want about the quadruple double with his seven turnovers. Um, I even told him you know, his, his turnover like 13 seconds into the second half was a pass that came right to me on press row. It just hit the table. It didn't have the, quite the height to get to me. So I did take the opportunity to tell him in the locker room that, you know, I was, I was open. Like I was ready. <laughs> I was all set uh, on that first play. Um, I, I hope we've got a good enough relationship to kn- for him to know that I was joking on that. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, he's, he's gotta be the guy that everything goes through for Duke. Um, Tyrese Proctor might be a higher draft pick, like, you know, Jared McCain and Caleb Foster, the new kids on the block in the guard positions. Jeremy Roach is, you know, I I like the Quinn Cook 2.0 comparison. I don't know that they're exactly the same, but 
It feels like they do a lot of the same things that are important to Duke's success that Quinn did nine years ago. Um, I just, I think that if you're tabbing, like, who's the one player Duke cannot afford to lose, it's, it's that guy. You don't have to overthink anything. It's it's that guy in the middle. No doubt about that. I'm glad you mentioned Roach, though, because I do want to make sure uh, we kind of give him some praise with what he's been able to do this season. I've been overlooking some of what he's done, and then yet night in and night out, he keeps showing up recently for the Stoop team. And I'm like, all right, Jeremy, let's talk, because it's been fun to watch what he's doing. Over the last five, 19.5 points per game and 61% from three-point range over the last five alone. His season averages are remarkable from the outside. I mean, man, it's it, that's been kind of one of the one criticism that folks have had throughout his Duke career is the shot from three-point range. And this catch-and-shoot version of Jeremy Roach that we've seen is so special. Wow, it's been fun to watch, Connor. Yeah, he's just – he's you never get the sense that he takes a rush shot. Uh, like – uh, you know, if if you want yeah. to throw out there a late shot clock situation, whatever. But in the flow of the offense, you never get the feeling that Jeremy is rushed in anything that he does. The ball does not stick in his hand for too long. Um, he's really he's become the veteran guard that Duke just has not had over the, over the years. Um, you know, you might be able to make the case that Wendell Moore was that uh, in his junior year when they went to the Final Four. That was also a Wendell Moore who played sparingly as a freshman and and was young for his age. Like Wendell, I think his age was was that he should have been a year behind where he was. Um, Jeremy is is just he's a fourth year guard. He's everything that you want in an experienced college basketball guard. I I don't know what his pro aspirate what his pro outlook is. Like I don't. I don't really care about that right now. Yeah. He's just he is he's doing what John Shire needs him to do. He is being who John Shire needs him to be. Um and then that's that's what you have to get out of a out of a four-year guard. And uh it's it's impressive to watch up close. And to give him credit, I don't know that right now Jeremy Roach cares what his pro outlook is. I mean, you could you could argue that when someone's been around for so long, they're kind of stuck in the rhythm of being a Duke basketball player. And, okay, here we are. We're in between the semester break. We've got com- some what folks would call boring games potentially here in this stretch. And that has not been the case whatsoever. I don't think he cares what the outlook is for beyond Duke right now. No, I, I don't. I don't get that sense either. Um, he is, he is fully locked in. Uh, I've, I've rarely gotten the sense that he's not been locked in, uh, to be clear on that one. Sure. Like he, he is, uh, he's, I guess he is everything that you want in, in that college guard who has experience and those are rare to come by, like the, make no mistake about it. The ones that, and especially the ones that come to Duke that are superb athletes, like how many of those guys have you seen over the years come through and their freshman or sophomore years are good enough and they're draftable enough that they go instead of staying? Um, hell, we even had uh, Jeremy Roach's classmate take a uh, one of the charity free throws during a halftime a couple of weeks ago. Uh, DJ Stewart was back in town. It was like, you know, it was this aha moment on press row and it was like, oh my God, that guy, he's already kind of, on the way out of 
pro basketball <laughs> and he came here in Jeremy Roach's class and Jeremy Roach is still like, it's, it's that kind of, it's that kind of thing where it just dawns on you that it's, it's rare for a program like Duke to have somebody like Jeremy Roach. And, you know, this year, one of the, one of the subset storylines is taking advantage of that. Everybody's got a different timeline and we're certainly seeing that with uh, Jeremy Roach and the Duke basketball program, big game coming up this next Wednesday against Baylor in Madison Square Garden. Uh, what do you think we can learn about the Duke basketball team? There's still the, the Tyrese Proctor element of it all out there. Uh, really excited to hear that the diagnosis not as severe as you might have immediately thought following kind of the days after that Georgia Tech game in particular. But when you look at this matchup, Duke and Baylor, how should Duke fans be feeling going into this one? Duke fans should prepare themselves for this is going to be a lot of scoring. And where my concern would be is when Duke has gotten behind uh, in other games this year, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to think about the, the Arkansas and Georgia Tech games, not necessarily the Arizona game, but just in the Arkansas and Georgia Tech games, when they got behind, they took a lot of panic shots. Uh, they, they showed their youth, I thought. Uh, and that's not just the freshmen. That's, that's the sophomores, too. Like, sophomores, they're still young. Um, even though they've played a lot of minutes and even though they played all last year, they're still young compared to some other teams in college basketball. And so where I would be concerned is if Duke's defense lets Baylor get hot early, um, that's a that's a train that might not be coming back. Uh, that they're, they're the best offensive team in the country, I think, per metrics or, or at least some metrics. Um I would I would look first at Duke's defense and what they're able to do to kind of slow Baylor down. I don't think they'll have Tyrese Proctor. Like John Shire sounded very not pessimistic, but it was very much it we got the impression um and talking to a couple other media and and taking his words into account after the Hofstra game. Uh he's he's not a week away from returning. So It'll be a game without Tyrese Proctor. They sure could use him to to play against a team like Baylor, but they'll make do without him. And uh, I, I would I would uh, stray toward the over on this one. I think there's going to be a lot of superb shot making. Can't wait to watch it. Madison Square Garden is always such a fun venue to watch Duke. Uh, they call it Cameron North for a reason. A lot of iconic performances over the years for the Duke basketball program. One more break. We'll wrap up talking a little football here on today's episode of Lockdown Blue Devils. Lockdown Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, colder the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, then there's no better way and no better time to get on the action than right now. The app is so easy to use, a wide range of betting options available including spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So go ahead, visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On and get started this NFL season. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL and the Locked On Podcast Network. Found a few moments here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. J.J. Jackson alongside my pal, Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. John Shire was talking about a blueprint. 
there's a little bit of a blueprint now for what it takes to be a Duke football head coach, given the success of this program the last two seasons under Mike Elko. And as we've now heard from Manny Diaz uh, in his introductory press conference and looking at the outlook of his program, it seems like, Connor, he'll build off that blueprint a little bit for what he wants to do with this Duke football team. Yeah, I thought that was one of the more interesting things he said on Saturday um, was the exact quote was something like, we're not here to maintain what's been done, but we're also not here to sustain. Um, I, I think I have those words wrong. I can't really remember. It's basically the point of like Duke's program is so far ahead of where it was two years ago. Um, that that can't be stated enough. Um it's, it's a better job. It has better resources. Uh, the players are better for having spent two years with David Feely, the strength and conditioning coach, who is going to be retained under Manny Diaz. The two of them worked together for three years when Manny was the head coach at Miami. So it's it's a program in a lot better shape. It's also it's it's a coach who is ambitious and wants to get Duke into the national conversation um that's they were kind of burgeoning on that this year i mean the labor day night win against clemson certainly put them in that and the the four and oh hosting game day put them in that realm um they ended the season seven and five and and kind of fell out of it by the end of the year and so that's where you get to well it, it needs to be sustained over a full season and uh that's the goal for manny i i Honestly, I don't know if he can accomplish it or not. Like, I, that, That's kind of what makes this fun uh, over the next however many years that he's in Durham. Uh, we get to see whether it works or not. Let me promote your work. Yesterday, we were 10 days away from the bowl game, the Birmingham Bowl. So you had kind of 10 things uh, to know about this Troy team going into it. A fun matchup coming for Duke as they take on the Trojans there in Birmingham. What, what are you thinking about when you look at this matchup, these two teams on paper, Duke and Troy, uh, programs that both are kind of going through coaching changes, right? John Sumrall, who had a great year with Troy, he's already out the door. He's yeah. heading on to his next destination. So you look at this matchup in particular, Connor, what are you seeing? I see one team that won a conference championship and is on a, uh, what is it, 10 10- – yeah, 10 game winning streak. And I see another that is in quite the transition phase that uh, just just lost another one of its best players to the transfer portal, Brandon Johnson, yesterday. Um, it's it's hard to know what to make of these bowl games, especially when you have so much flux in your roster. And Duke didn't really have that last year. Like it was just Shaka Hayward didn't play in the bowl game. I for the life of me, I can't remember if anybody else that was a significant contributor missed the military bowl against UCF and UCF was missing guys. And that's one of the factors in why Duke was able to run away with that win. So putting things lightly, uh, this, this is going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for Duke. Um, they'll have some advantages. Like it's, it's a P five team against a G five team. Like there's that. But um, I, I, definitely see this as a game where it's going to be really interesting to evaluate Duke and the pieces that they could bring back next year in terms of like Grayson Loftus and looking at younger guys and uh, looking at a Troy team that they lost their head coach, but they kind of have the rest of their roster intact and they're looking to finish off a 12 win season. 
And then not to mention, when you look at the calendar here, Duke wants to finish off this season uh, well with an eighth win here in 2023. But in some ways, the new season begins in, in less than a week, as we'll see signing day come. Work immediately for Manny Diaz. Not only does he have to put together this coaching staff uh, and figure out who's still going to be here, who's headed out the door to another destination, but you've got to go kind of lock in and try to get letter of intents turned in from some of these high school guys. Yeah, it's basically college football programs that go through a coaching search or coaching change in December. They they operate in two worlds when you have a bowl game. Like one one side of it is the team that you just played 12 games and is trying to finish the season that they they bled for. And the other one is, well, everything else has to get set up for the future. And Manny Diaz has to see which players and which coaches he wants to bring back and see who's going to be told, well, I think we'd be better off if you were to look elsewhere. And and then he's got to secure the class that was just recruited for more than a year under the previous staff. So, man, it's it's a lot of moving parts in a college football program going through a coaching change right now. What are you hearing? What do you kind of know about the staff for Manny Diaz that he's trying to put together? We've currently got Trooper Taylor as that interim head coach. A lot of people always curious where coordinators end up. So for Duke, you've got Kevin Johns on the offensive side of the ball, Tyler Santucci calling defense. What are you kind of hearing on that, Connor? I know David Feely will be retained. Um, I know there was a report from the Texas A&M end that Trooper Taylor had already accepted a job with A&M and that's false. Like he's coaching Duke in their bowl game. Uh, he's not going to be flying into Birmingham from college station, uh, <laughs> just parachuting into coach a game. Meeting back that's up with the guys. Yeah. yeah, It's not going to be the case. Look, I, I think Kevin Johns has a chance to be retained. I think kind of the same with Tyler Santucci. Um, they're different. Like Kevin Johns came from Memphis. He didn't have any previous ties on a staff with Mike Elko. Tyler Santucci has been hired by Mike Elko, I think it was like six or seven different places or six or seven different times at five places. Um, I've kind of been operating under the assumption that Tyler Santucci would want to join Mike Elko in, in Texas A&M, but that's, that's just my feeling. And that's, that's my feeling. I can't stress that enough. I don't have any inside knowledge of that taking place over the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I think Manny Diaz would be, in better shape if he retained Tyler Santucci because I think he is a rising star uh, in the coaching rankings. Um, Kevin Johns, it's it's more up in the air. It's it's what what Manny wants to do with his offense. Um, that's always kind of the conversation that we get into with when you hire a defensive guy, a defensive guy as your head coach. You you always want to know what he's doing on the opposite side of the ball because there's always the assumption that they don't have much to do with the side of the ball that they don't know. Yeah. Um, it's not entirely accurate, but but it's just kind of where the focus tends to to lead you. And so you you think about Rhett Lashley being Manny Diaz's offensive coordinator in Miami. That's a that's a spread out um, used motions and and explosive offense. That's kind of what Kevin Johns has been. Um, this year was a little more power run, but that was a little bit out of necessity also with quarterback injuries and what Riley Leonard's strength was uh, when he had two good ankles. So I, I'm curious where it goes. Uh, I, I can just, I know that's not a definitive answer, but it's, it's just kind of where I am. Um, I'm curious if Kevin Johns is going to be Manny's guy or 
if he's going to look elsewhere. Well, we're going to follow along. We know that you'll have all the best coverage available there at duke.rivals.com. And Connor, as always, uh, so appreciative of your time joining me on the show here today. Thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. Thanks, JJ. All right, that's Connor O'Neill joining us here on the program. Super excited to have him on the show here with us. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow to continue to talk about the Duke football team, Duke basketball, and so much more here at Lockdown Blue Devils. That'll do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.